Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and this week I am joined by Megan Fate Marshman, who has dedicated her life to inspire, equip, and support people in spiritual formation for a lifetime of faith. Megan is passionate about sharing Jesus everywhere, from universities to coffee shops. She is a respected speaker at churches, conferences, and retreats. She's invested years in ministering to young adults and currently serves as director of women's ministries at Hume Lake Christian Camps and as a staff pastor at Arbor Road Church in Long Beach, California. On this week's episode, Megan and I talk about the one key factor that makes all the difference when it comes to discipling others and helping them reach their leadership potential. Megan provides some great insights about ministering to young adults, and she also shares a fresh perspective on women's ministry. Now, I really believe you will find her experience and wisdom helpful in your local church context, so please join me in my conversation with Megan Fate Marshman. Megan, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making time to be with us today. Oh, man, I'm honored to be a part of it. Awesome, sister. Now, you have um, a variety of kind of ministry roles that you're currently engaged in and also that you've been engaged in over the years as you've been serving the kingdom. And right now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just kind of kind of what I understand. Right now, you serve as a pastor um, at Arbor Road Church. Yeah? Correct. You got one for one. Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> there's that. And is it women's ministry or young adults or... What's kind of your role there? Yeah. So I'm very part-time at my local church, mainly to uh, satisfy the needs that there happens to be. So there was a season where I was stepping into young adults because apparently that age range is tricky (laughs) for a few years, but come just recently actually making the switch into adult ministries. So that looks like a variety of things, but right now managing a lot of the weekly ministries that we have and putting on some major events, but working primarily with the adults now. Awesome. Very cool. And um, you have, and you, you still do speak at conferences and different events and retreats, um, I know, around the country. But one of your other big roles is with Hume Lake Christian Camps, correct? It is, yeah. So I get to run a few retreats there as well, about five a year, and then doing a little bit of that itinerant preaching. And by a little bit, I'm now, as I'm saying that, I'm going a a, a lot of it, actually, trying to figure (laughs) out how to balance that, but still uh, prioritize family and, you know, all the good things. But then reading John Mark Comer's book about not living hurried and even want to slow down as I speak to you now. So, amen. yeah, all the things. I just just had John Mark on and a great conversation over over kind of that unhurried lifestyle. So I totally get what you're saying there. Awesome. Well, Megan, I just want to talk to you a little bit, and you can share with with those who are listening in a little bit about um, how, over the years, how you've kind of been approaching ministry and um, approaching working with teams. I know you're a proponent of, you know, an Ephesians four style of ministry. Um, yeah. You've shared that, and um, I'm willing to bet that most who are listening in right now um, kind of understand that kind of. From an intellectual perspective, you know, they've, they've read the passage, they understand how it breaks down, but um, actually practicing Ephesians, practicing Ephesians 4 ministry can sometimes be a challenge. Uh, can yeah. you talk to us a little bit about how um, you have found this kind of work in your ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So 
When I went back to the local church uh, working for my current one, I still remember the first season I came in, I had taken a season of a bunch of years doing the itinerant preaching, loving it. You know, and the people that do it, you understand, you get very, you know, lots of high fives, lots of good conversations, maybe even tearful conversations after the message. And then when you go to work uh, for your church, there's not a ton of thank yous that were happening afterwards. <laughs> and I remember jumping in with a group of young adults specifically. And there was a, a few of them and we, I physically set up the chairs and it felt a lot more like Jesus's ministry. And as I did, I remember the first about three or four months, I would give the 35 to 45 minute ser- sermon. And I was expecting the same type of response that I had received as an itinerant preacher. And I wasn't receiving that type of feedback. And I wasn't noticing the type of growth that I was seeing at these places and retreat centers. For instance, like I like I, we talked about earlier, I work at a camp where it's literally up in the mountains. And even biblically, people meet with God on mountaintops. So I was expecting to have those types of Moses on the top of Mount Sinai <laughs> moments on a weekly basis at my local church and was confused and truly, and I and praise be to God for stumbling quite literally across these passages that I had known in my head. And when I was at a place of saying, God, what do you want? I I know what I thought they needed. And these young adults were communicating to me what they thought they needed. They needed inspirational messages. And they were listening to all the podcasts and being inspired, reading all the books. And and I came to realize what if uh, what I think they needed, what they think they needed was not actually what they needed. And the beautiful thing is coming across the Ephesians 4, specifically verse 12 passage where it says, no, 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 our job is to equip other people to do the ministry. And that was such a timely gift from the Lord. And then to, to, to quite literally say, then what does this look like for us? If my job is not to do the ministry, but my job is to equip the people to do the ministry where do I start? And the best the best metaphor I could come up with was a potluck. And because I work for a church, a church potluck sounded pretty cliche and wonderful. <laughs> and, and I love that young adults want to make anything old school or traditional cool again. So it actually worked pretty well. But the big idea was everyone contributes and everyone had to bring something. And the best part, the best part, it was such a teachable moment, is right before we got to the meal, we realized no one signed up for forks. <laughs> And it was that moment where we looked around, we kind of had the nervous laughter. And then I looked and said, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure if you find yourself as the metaphorical fork at the potluck, and if you just compared yourself to the main dish, of course, you'd be discouraged. You're just the fork, but we're going to enjoy this meal and see what happens when someone plays the comparison game and doesn't bring what they uniquely have to offer and and compare themselves to others. And it was a memorable night for so many other reasons. And then we couldn't help but figure out and even talk about it in the group, what to do next. And what formed next was the very next series. We took all the different tables of young adults and we said, all right, that table takes week one, that table takes week two, that table. And we did an eight week series where they had to bring how God uniquely wired them and they had to contribute and do church. Best series I've ever done, best church moment I've ever been a part of. And I've and the best part is all these people were finding their place in the church. And to this day, some of those young adults now are behind the scenes wearing black behind a camera because they realized that's where they found that gift back then. Or there's now a guy that is running slides in the main sanctuary because of that series. Or people who actually are on the greeting team because they recognize that's how God uniquely crafted them. It was crazy. So now I'm implementing it in every ministry context I possibly can. That's awesome. I, I love that story. I love that metaphor. It's a perfect metaphor, I think. So talk to us a little bit, Megan, about how that has 
Um, I know you shared like some of those um, who were involved in that series that that you kicked off and kind of put it into their hands are now serving in a variety of ways. But how has Ephesians four twelve continued to yeah. kind of show up? Do you have any other other stories or examples yeah. of how that's continued oh, yeah. to show up? Yeah, and I think even just ha- what you just said is all anyone who's listening needs to do, which is look to the people you're doing things with and say, "How do we do this?" And that's it's such a fun creative question to ask. So I, uh, right when I took over and transitioned roles from young adults more into just adults, I was going to run a women's event, a women's worship night. And it was one of those types of events that I could, I mean, I could quite literally do in about an hour. You could plan it out, send out a bunch of PCO requests, planning center, you know, (laughs) get all the green lights and then run an event. And we're good at that. I think if you work at the church or you have some time spent running events, you get pretty good at that. And I had a moment where I asked the exact question you just asked. And I asked it with a young leader who was going to be my worship leader. And I said, all right, so what does it look like for us to Ephesians 4.12, this particular event? Mm-hmm. And she goes, I, you know, does it mean we need more volunteers, more greeters? And she starts listing off the different areas. And so what we ended up doing was putting together a meeting. And then afterwards, I loved it because the young leader came to me and she said, you know, we didn't really need that meeting, did we? And it was just this question. I said, well, we we, we we didn't to run a good event, but is that what we're called to do? And it was such a beautiful moment uh, sitting with her. And then, and as I hate to say how rare this is, but the two of us opened the Bible together, read the scripture together and kept coming back to what our jobs are within the church. Our job is not to do the church. Our job is to equip the people to believe that they themselves can equip the people and equip the people. And the good news is we have record that it's worked from generation to generation since all the way back in the beginning of God using super imperfect people who are willing to continue a really good storyline. And even if it's through their faults or through their failures, and sometimes even um, in spite of them, God will continue that storyline. So that conversation afterwards with my worship leader was, you know, we didn't need the meeting to run an event. But we did need a meeting with all these women to plan an event that we could have done on our own, but now we're not. And the benefit of it, I will say there's also some, while it's really fun to tie a bow on the story and say, and it was the best event ever, it was harder to plan that way. It was slower. There were some people that had some hurt feelings because they wanted a different part to play in the planning process. Overall, it was slower. But what I loved is speaking with this young, vibrant, talented uh, worship leader who had just been really good at running events to talk through really what it means to work for the church. And that, if nothing else, that may have been probably my most significant moment of that entire process was Mm. the conversations, both the hard ones, the good ones, the equipping ones. That was the ministry. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I love that. Let's let's shift uh, direction just a little bit into um, another area of ministry that, that you've had um, a lot of experience in, and that is women's ministries. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting, just uh, literally just last week, I was having a conversation with a group of people, you know, men and women both, and somehow women's ministries came up, and uh, one one of the ladies had mentioned that she she's like, you know, I'm not a massive fan of women's ministries. You know, I just think of it as like, you know, setting up, a, a, you know, an afternoon tea or something like that. And, and so there's this kind of this conversation about, you know, like, you know, some women aren't as interested in women's ministry or don't see a point of joining one. And yeah. so since I, I knew I was going to be talking to you, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts, having been engaged uh, in such depth with women's ministry uh, over the years. Can you kind of speak to, to some of that? Yeah, absolutely. 
I think women's ministry can be, like every other ministry, really beautiful if we make the main thing the right thing. Mm. And I'm loving the new voices coming in, specifically on these topics. Man, some really articulate ladies like Jen Wilkin speaking about the history of women's ministries or Bianca Oltoff, I know, wrote an article for you guys mm-hmm. um, talking about these really um, beautiful things, gathering people together, but the rich history of what has kind of taken women's ministry in different directions. And women naturally love talking about stories. They love circling around tables and feeling known, getting to know other people. And these are all really good things. And I think they're great contributions to our church. Uh, There's much to learn from um, women's gatherings and the felt need from women. But the I would say the most important thing to keep coming back to is to make sure the main thing's the right thing. And we don't just rely on tradition or what we've always done or make it solely about us. Mm. So although this conversation can go all across all sorts of ministries, in my experience with women's, it's been very easy, easy and almost tempting. And it's even weird using that word, but <laughs> tempting to make it more about a social gathering. Mm. Tempting to make it more about us sharing our testimonies and our stories. And while that's absolutely helpful and beautiful and something I think a lot of other areas of the church can learn from women and vulnerability, authenticity, all these really powerful things that women value. When we make that the priority, I think we miss out on what can be accomplished through time together. And so I would say while uh, women's has got, it's so funny you bring up all those, you know, the conversation you had, because I too, in running women's ministry, not the camp that I have, I I find such victory when someone says, so I hate women's ministries. And then, but that's usually the start of the testimony that gets to, but I liked this. Mm. And I will say that this that they're always referring to is likely not the things that are stereotypical women's ministry. It's not doilies. It's not centerpieces. It's not all the things that unfortunately come with the stereotype of women's ministry, what it is, is women huddled around truth and then secondarily seeing how that truth impacts their lives. Again, secondarily being key. I think a big sweeping overview problem with um, what or how women's ministries gets uh, criticized is when it becomes about the individual um, first and then God's second. And what I've realized with, gosh, all of scripture in every context, text is that God's the main character. And (laughs) when we make him the main character, our conversations align and become more of what they were intended to be. Whenever we make ourselves the main character of any conversation, what we'll find ourselves doing is trying to get everyone else and everything else to play very great supporting roles to us. And so again, women's ministry can get some funny stereotypes and I love all of them. And I love this interfaces. It happens not to be my, uh, my unique contribution to the night. Uh, but it really is helpful. And I actually want to add something to those of you who, um, get frustrated about the, um, centerpieces. I was made, I was made aware what I did at a women's conference. I remember one time was I grabbed ladies from each generation very intentionally and I brought them together. And I said, what is it about the doilies? Why is, why does that matter? And one woman, blew my mind. She was probably in her fifties or sixties. And she looked and she said, well, back in our day, we didn't value um, authenticity because we didn't, we never saw it. She goes, so what we valued 
was a clean home because that was what was presented as love. And so when you walk into someone's home and it was clean, that was an act of love for us. And then I looked at the 20 something who sits across the table from all these people all the time asking about their story and their soul. And they have these deep, meaningful conversations for them. um, What it meant to show love is to get to know me or to ask about me. And so to say, wow, women's ministries, we actually can learn from each other. Um, The younger can learn from the older to say, when you set the table beautifully, it communicates love to a generation you don't understand. Mm. And then for the older person to look at the younger person or to learn from the younger person and say, I need to understand vulnerability and the power of story from you. And when we learn like that, but when the purpose is not just understanding ourselves or each other, when the purpose is not us as the main character, but when the purpose is knowing who God is and then loving people in response, I think those are the moments where women's ministry is what God intended. That's good. That's a good word, sister. As you're talking to, I mean, obviously those listening, pastors and ministry leaders listening, as you, you know, if you were to sit down, I'm sure that you you probably do this, um, in talking with um, leaders who are looking at developing ministry to women, to reach women, to connect with women, what are some things that you would uh, recommend they do? What are some things maybe that are kind of atypical that that you and your ministry that you might do that could help um, provide some guidance? I would say listen a lot. Mm. And it's weirdly, as I'm even anything I'm sharing has been just a lot of wisdom I've I've heard over the years. So we're I'm going to come back to the the story with the planning the women's worship night is putting a table together of ladies um, that look different than you, that have different experience of women's ministry than you, and be a listener. Because if you, so you being the leader, if you say something, the people might understand it. And that's, I mean, you hope, but if the people say something, they'll remember it. Kind of like if you've ever sat in a seminar and you, you're you in the audience and you raise your hand and you speak up, you spend the rest of the seminar critiquing or being very proud of what you just said, right? <laughs> right. If, you say, if you say something, you'll remember it. If you discover something, you own it and you only act on what you own, not necessarily what you agree with. And so I would say, if you want to start something or you want to begin the conversation, get people around a table begin to listen because when they begin to speak and if they even get to the place of discovering what they need, they'll begin to own the ministry. And then, I mean, full circle, you'll find yourself doing the Ephesians 4.12 type ministry, which is allowing, empowering, encouraging, equipping them to do it. And when they, they discover it, they'll own it. And then they won't, it won't feel like a burden because they'll be enacting or creating content that they came up with themselves. So I would say the best thing is to approach it as a learner. I've had to do this in so many different contexts, but when people feel heard, they feel valued. When they discover truth, they're on their way to doing something really beautiful. Yeah, that, that's good. Megan, uh, many people, or maybe not many, but some, I would say, speculate that because women sometimes aren't encor- encouraged or in some cases aren't allowed to hold positions of leadership in a church that we as uh, the big church might be losing professional women hmm. um, who are accustomed to to leading and contributing. Um, in your experience, ha- have you seen this play out in any specific way? Oh, man. All over the place. Mm. It is 
I, I hate to admit it, and I'm not someone that typically likes to, I don't like to be offended very often. Mm-hmm. So I do my best to truly understand because I don't think anyone intends, I hope, that's that's maybe benefit of the doubt, but I don't I hope people aren't ever intending to offend or so when you can give someone that benefit of the doubt and really hear them and understand them, it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. But man, it I've seen women who want to contribute not feel like they can. And luckily I've heard that in feedback after a sermon I've been able to give as they come up and give that story of I'm going through seminary, but I'm told I can only do X, Y, and Z, or I'm doing this and I've been told this, or I've been doing this, or just this simple testimony of you're the first person female I've ever heard communicate from a pulpit. So I'm hearing the stories usually after they're experiencing something really foreign or new. So I get to hear it as the type of feedback I get to hear is not them sitting in the slum of feeling like they can't contribute. I get to hear it from this moment of, wait, you're telling me I can Mm. just by being a woman and standing on a stage. So I get to hear the, like the I'm on the way up uh, version (laughs) of it. But, But I, but I also have come alongside a lot of women who have, to be quite honest, quit the church because they didn't feel valued in it. And so obviously they just need a lot of relationships who look a lot like Jesus and approach them like that. But yeah, I've, I've heard all sorts of stories all over the place. And of course, being a woman in ministry, gotten to experience a lot of um, closed doors, open doors. And man, I mean, that's a very, it's a very complex uh, conversation, but I will say seeing people, um, male or female, getting to know people and then it's fun that this has become a through line, but figuring out how God wired them to make him known in their unique context and then sending them out with a blessing to do so, whether or not it's ever from a stage, I've just tried to say, while we all may disagree on where we can live with purpose, it should never stop us from living with purpose. That's good. That's good. I appreciate that. Uh, in an interview that you did a few years ago, you were asked why young people are leaving the church. I mean, it's been a, a big topic that many of us have, have wrestled with for, for quite some time now. And at the time, you said the problem lies not with um, this idea of entertainment, right? Like, you know, is, is our worship gatherings entertaining enough to keep them coming back? Yeah. Um, rather, you made the statement, uh, quote, the good feelings, peace, and emotional highs they had when they worshiped God in middle school or in high school had ceased, end quote. Mm-hmm. And that, w- that was kind of um, what you felt was like one of the, the missing pieces and why young people were not continuing in worship. Are, are your thoughts, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Are you still kind of in that same yeah. place? Have you have you learned even more? Because you've been working a lot with, with young people. I'm just curious yeah. as to your thoughts on that, you know. Yeah, I think my thoughts were very shaped by a book that I read a while back called Almost Christian. And really what it tackled is was a, I love this term, but the therapeutic, moralistic, deism form of Christianity that's not Christianity at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, moralistic, it's all about what you do. Therapeutic, it's about how it makes you feel. Deism, there's a God, but he's distant. And it's almost a, and the way Kenda Creasy Dean talked about it is she was addressing that this is a form of Christianity that people are convinced is Christianity. And so they they worship their feelings. They make their faith about all that they do, not intimacy with the Father, because he's maybe there is a God, but 
he's really distant. And because I don't know how to spend time with him, uh, I'm just going to be content with a little bit of knowledge and then try to be an activist and live purposefully. And unfortunately, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's not, that's, that's something else. And reading that book was so impactful for me to really keep coming back to, uh, to keep coming back to the essence of our faith, not being what we do for God, but being what God has already accomplished. So, man, I don't think people are running away from the truth. I think people are running away from church in search of the truth. I don't think that they always know what the truth is. And when they find something that feels good for a while, they may equate that with truth. But man, so I really don't think young people are running away just from things that they're convinced are true, they're running away in search of what is actually true. And they're trying to find it in these good feelings. They're trying to find it in living with purpose. They're trying to find it in places of belonging. And when they find it in those places, that's where they stay. Um, And so, yeah, I would just say uh, to contribute, I don't, it's so fun. I wonder where I said all that. That's so fun. (laughs) Not fun, but (laughs) it's just, it's so cool because my, my mind continues to develop. I, in this area of, of questioning why and going, okay, so maybe I can't fix the big problem that's happening, but all I can do is keep making sure I'm, I make sure young people in particular, when I have opportunities to speak to young people, make sure they understand what true truth actually is and what a Christ follower is, not necessarily trying to uh, label them by what they do, because I think too often everyone's labeling themselves by what they do, um, not who they are. And man, it's, it's a rough world if you're um, trying to stack up against other people and be impressive because there's people out there that are always going to be more impressive. But when Jesus is really impressive because of all he's accomplished, I feel like people are drawn to him and stay to him. So when we make the right thing the right thing, um, people can find truth in the church because that's exactly where it exists. Yeah, that that's good. You've mentioned uh, a couple of different times in the conversation of kind of keeping the right thing, the right thing, or the main thing, yeah. you know, in focus. And um, can you can you talk to us a little bit about whether it's in you know ministry with with young adults, whether it's in women's ministry, you know, camp ministry, retreats, wh- whatever you're doing, um, and, and kind of specifically within the local church, um, your role in the local church. Um, what are some some practical ways that you have found? Yeah. to make sure that you are keeping the the you know the main thing the main thing i think well i will tell you what i've done what i've done and it's of course i i i think i'm just doing my best like everyone else we're trying we're exceeding we're exceeding at times failing at other times but allowing um but just journeying with jesus in the meantime uh the way that i've done ministry and it's it's revamped over the years and I hope in five years it's even more radically different than it is today. I hope I'm always learning for the rest of my life as I even define the word disciple and that's what I am is to just be a disciplined learner. And so I feel like the the ways I've been doing ministry lately that I've been learning are are the best is giving people an opportunity to not just agree with my faith, but to develop their own. So any type of ministry context I'm a part of, I'm moving away from merely presenting truth for 45 minutes and then allowing an audience to agree, disagree, hopefully respond to. And and while there is room for that, and I get opportunities to do that all over the place, in areas where I am ministering consistently, so my own local church or even that Christian camp I work at, is to create space for people to wrestle with truth 
themselves. And so giving scripture for people to huddle around and to develop thought and to, I, I think that I'm, what I'm attempting to do is create ministry in which people not just listen to an exciting sermon and agree with someone else's faith, but a safe place for them to discover truth for themselves. And it, it's see, it's so funny because for me, when I first got into church ministry, I, I, I was almost the opposite, just con- constantly feeding them more and more and more information, more information, more information. And I think the main thing is creating space for people to hang out with Jesus. In fact, um, uh, someone I've journeyed with for a few years, her name's uh, Dr. Michelle Anthony. Her mentor watched one of her services once, and she leads children's ministries. And a mentor of hers watched her full service, and it was, wow, this, and wow, that, and wow, the lights, and wow, the programming, and wow, the message. And afterwards, uh, her mentor looked at her and said, this was amazing. And my friend Michelle said, why, thank you. And then her mentor said, but when do the kids get to be with with Jesus? And the moment I heard that, I remember shifting in my mind everything I was doing and saying, there has to be moments at church where we get to spend time with Jesus, discovering who Jesus is on our own and not merely coming to church and being entertained or being encouraged by someone else's faith, but having sincere places to develop our own. And so since that moment, I think I continually ask myself, okay, when and when do these people get to spend time with Jesus? And I think that is the main thing, because when you spend time with Jesus, you'll begin to look like him, right? You, I, I even heard the stat once, we are, we are the average of our five closest friends when it comes to personality, quirks, like all the fun things. We just kind of get molded and shaped by the people we're closest to. And if we're not close to Jesus, it's going to be hard to be shaped by him. So I don't want people just to be close to me and my intimacy with the Father. I want to make sure that if I'm running ministry, I'm enabling them to be close to him as well. Yeah, that's good. I, and I, I love that, Megan. That, that question is, I think, a great question for all of us to ask in our you know, whatever ministry role you find yourself or ministry setting is, you know, to reflect on that question um, because that can help help guide, you know, what you're doing. Um, Megan, I was wondering, we're we're getting ready to close down our time together, um, but is there anything else kind of on your heart? You have the ears of um, pastors and ministry leaders right now that you might want to uh, leave with them? The minute you started speaking just then, I came back to a stat in my head about Jesus, about how he did ministry. I recently was even studying John 15 and our role as ministry leaders. We are the branches, just like the people we minister to. And I think while other people are going to want us to play a different role at times, they're going to encourage us to be the vine, to be their source of life, to be the one in control of the church, making the decisions for the church. We're going to be pressed and pushed to play that wrong part. Um, And so I'm just reminded that, no, 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 we're just the branch. Uh, alongside those people. And as much as people are going to want to push us into different types of leadership roles to just remember um, that we're a branch too, trying to connect to the source and to not miss that. And then when we turn out and begin to look, yes, outward, he's placed us in these leadership positions. So now what do we do with these as a branch? What's our job? And I'll say the best advice I've gotten directly from Jesus and literally going through the Bible and figuring out how Jesus led other people. And if we're supposed to look a lot like him as we lead in our context, as a branch, uh, 
Jesus asked a lot of questions. And as a ministry leader who wants to know a lot and be come, come across smart and have something you need to contribute and all those different things that I've come to realize is Jesus just asked a lot of questions. Um, I, I think there's the stat of he was asked, uh, what was it? He was asked 184 questions. He asked 307. Of the 184 questions he was asked, he only answered three directly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so as we do as a fellow branch, the best thing we can do to look like Jesus is to ask a lot more questions versus feeling the burden to have all the answers because the one who had the answer to every single question was a lot more interested in relationship. And so, uh, fellow leaders, as we're doing this thing, as we're all branches trying to, um, unite together to connect to the true source, Remember, you're not the vine. You don't have to play that part. We have a really good gardener who's already in control. Uh, but as you get to play the unique part that he's entrusted to you, man, ask lots of questions, get people involved. Yeah, I love Ephesians that. Ephesians 4, he's uh, equipped us to equip others. That's so good. So good. I love it. Thank you for um, all the insights and just sharing the wisdom and your own experiences um, and how God has been guiding you as, as a leader in ministry. Megan, if, if anyone wants to connect with you, maybe on social media, how can they mm. do that? Yeah, just uh, Megan Fate. My maiden name is Fate. And uh, <laughs> I've always loved my maiden name. So Megan Fate is the way to find me online. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. We certainly appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.